Thanks for joining us online for today's message from our Sunday morning service, where we are learning how to make disciples who love God, love others, and serve the world. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged. For more information about Wilmot Center Missionary Church, go to wcmc.ca. Now prepare your hearts for what God wants to speak to you today. Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's great to be back after a couple weeks away. I am very glad to be back with you. And uh, what a great morning, isn't it? What a great morning to dedicate uh, two babies to the Lord. No, not babies, two children to the Lord. Uh, what a blessing to hear that wonderful music. So thank you so much to the Watsos for that. That was wonderful. Uh, what a great morning to be together. Thank you to Pastor Wayne and, and to Otto Ferber for speaking the last two Sundays. Uh, thank you to the people who did the decorating up here. Um, if you, uh, you're involved in that even a little bit, we just, just raise your hand. You're involved in decorating. You, some, some people are, you, you can admit it. It's all right. We, will you show them your appreciation for that? Wonderful. And since today was a day of, of child dedications, uh, I want to say thank you to, to everybody who serves in the nursery. Uh, those are some of the, the quiet workers behind the scenes. In fact, not only behind the scenes, but under the scenes who are serving in the nursery. Who, who's here this morning uh, among us who serves in the nursery? A, a few people admitting it. So let's, let's give them appreciation as well. Uh, we are in Advent, the second Sunday of Advent, and speaking of nurseries and, and child care workers, we're celebrating the coming to the most important nursery ever in the history of the world. Amen? And that is the coming of Jesus to a stable or a cave placed in a feeding trough, the most humble of circumstances in Bethlehem. And so speaking of, of nurseries, I want to invite you, I have a, a presentation uh, to share today. And speaking of, of nurseries, I want to invite you to the first chapter of Matthew. And will you read with me, if we get there, I'd like to read together the first six verses of Matthew chapter 1. Wonderful. Here they are. You remember a few weeks ago, we read together uh, from Psalm I think it was Psalm 148. And it was just a great invigorating psalm. It was so easy and wonderful to, uh, to read together. So today, it's a little different kind of a reading. But I want you to just to get all thrilled about reading it as we go along today. All right? So here we go. Just the first six verses, Matthew 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Ruth. Roaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed the father of Jesse. 
Jesse was the father of David the king, David the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Woo! Who doesn't get excited by reading a good genealogy? Thank you for your honesty. But one commentator, Michael Green, a wonderful evangelical Anglican theologian wrote, what an amazing way to start the gospel with a great long list of names. Whatever floats your boat. Uh, And and the, the fun part is we only just got started with the first six verses. There are still 10 more verses of names, but I won't make you read them with me when we get to them. Uh, You can read them, whisper them if you really like to. But actually, speaking of genealogies, you know that DNA tests and uh, genealogy searches have become somewhat popular, popular enough that, that people are putting advertisements on TV for them. And when it becomes personal, it can actually be intriguing. Some of you maybe have, have gone down this road. It can be quite intriguing to find out where you came from and who you came from, and maybe what percentage of background you are. That's the spin of some of the commercials uh, on TV. And so you can build your family tree from that. Interestingly, just a few years ago, um, I had the privilege of being asked to lead a celebration service. It was a funeral service, and it was a very sad time. It was a very tragic death. But I had never met, actually, the person who had had passed away. But her very best friend was someone that I knew well, and she had asked me to come because their pastor was away in India. And so I led led the service in Kitchener. And uh, when we were finished and I was meeting some of the people, I just had this really funny feeling. And as I got chatting with, with one of her relatives, I discovered I was related to her. Isn't that wild? And so you never know where your genealogy uh, might take you. Lineage was very important to the Jewish people. So genealogies were very valuable to them. People who could trace their lineage, and this is still true for some today, people who could trace their lineage back to King David, who was a man after God's heart, they were proud So I was told that uh, Ludwig uh, van Beethoven had a a student who had a student who had a student who had a student who had a student of one of my piano teachers. Woo! I mean, how desperate do you have to be to try to link... And that was not biological anyway. That was just, uh, I think by the time it got to me, a lot of it had been lost, that's for sure. But many people do get interested uh, in their heritage. As far as Israel goes, in Ezra chapter 2, part of the history of Israel records that because some family records couldn't be found, the people who were part of that family were not allowed to serve in ways that they had wanted to. They were declared unclean for a time, because the records couldn't be found. They couldn't prove that they were who they said they were. Jewish historian 
uh, in the first century. Josephus, at the end of the first century, began his autobiography by relating his genealogical pedigree. So I'm just saying, this was really important for the Jewish people. Apparently, Herod the Great, ruling uh, in Israel, ordered the destruction of the official genealogies because he was only half Jew, half Edomite, descended from Esau, and he was embarrassed. He didn't even need, what is it, 23 and me, or uh, an ancestry dot your country, in order to discover, or in order to, uh, well, he didn't want them, actually, because he didn't want them to prove that he was less than he wanted to be. Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, this is how Matthew begins, identifies Jesus as the promised Savior. Amen? David was the second king of Israel. We come back to these verses. He was a man after God's heart, highlighted by Matthew as being in the royal line. This is why Matthew reads, he begins, record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. Messiah means Christ. The son of David, and the son of Abraham. Abraham goes back much farther than David did. And we talked about his son and his going up Mount Moriah to worship God and surrender to God. Abraham was named by Matthew because he was called by God to be the very father of Israel and the spiritual father of all who would follow Jesus. Jesus is the climax of God's work for a broken, needy humankind. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abram in Genesis 12 that in his seed all the families of the earth would be blessed. It all comes to Jesus. And of his promise to David in 2 Samuel 7.16 that his throne and his kingdom would be established forever. Before the Lord. That's why Matthew begins this way. So why a genealogy uh, besides some of the fun facts about Jewish history? Well, the reasons will unfold. But I read of a pastor and theologian by the name of Myron Augsburger that while he was doing a mission in India quite some years ago, he learned of a young Hindu man who had come to Christ by reading the first chapter of Matthew. You imagine going to somebody and saying, so tell me your, your spiritual story. How did you come to Jesus? Man, I read this great genealogy. It changed my life forever. Amen. Because God's word is living and active. And we never know how it's going to be used to change lives. When the man was asked what there was about the genealogy that led to his conversion, this is what he said. He said that for the first time he had found a religion that's actually rooted in history. Isn't that cool? He said it wasn't, it wasn't based on some sort of, a, of an unverifiable fable. He said this was rooted in history for the first time. And that's what cinched it, clinched it for him. I'm going to quickly highlight a few of the names on the list, and you can also find uh, the ones in these six verses 
and 1 Chronicles 1 and 2. Abram, Abraham, we talked about him a few weeks ago and his son Isaac. And then there was Jacob. Jacob was also known as Israel. That was a nickname that God had given to him because from him came Judah and his other 11 brothers, the 12 sons of Jacob, and they were the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. And people still, Jewish people, will still relate back to those tribes. Then Judah was the father of Perez, and Judah was also the father of Zerah by Tamar. This is very significant because Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law who actually had a child by Judah, and it's quite a sordid story. I don't have time to get into it now, but you can read that very interesting story in Genesis chapter 38. Now here's the first reason why we're talking genealogy on the second Advent, second Sunday of Advent. Christmas is for everybody because Jesus doesn't mind what our stories were. Amen? Rather, Jesus invites us to intersect our little stories into his greater story, which is for the restoration and the salvation of humankind. And he wants our story to come under his story so that when we ask him things like, God, what's your will? That we don't start with, Lord, what's your will for my life? But rather we say, Lord, what is your will? And how does my life fit into it? So that he comes first. And then our story necessarily comes second. And Jesus wants to take our stories. He doesn't mind our stories because he wants to renew our minds. Romans 12. We come to the other three verses. Perez and Hezron, Ram and Minadab, Nashon, and Salmon, and Boaz by Rahab. And most of these are just genealogical names. But we stop at Rahab because Rahab had been a prostitute. A prostitute in Jericho. And this is a story you can read in, in, in Joshua chapter 2. She hid Israelite spies and her life was spared. Not only that, but God grafts her into the genealogical tree of Jesus. And that would have been, for many of the legalistic people in Jesus' day, absolutely unacceptable. She was a foreigner. She was a prostitute. You go back to Judah and the circumstances under which Judah and Tamar's child was born. And I'm reminded, I don't remember it well, but when I was born, (laughs) I was born out of wedlock. I have never met either of my biological parents, but I understand the story goes that when I was born, I was taken home. There was already a child there. My mother was was single, and, and with her mother, they were trying to take care of, of first baby along with me, and I had some pretty serious lung issues. And, and she just came to the place where she said, I just can't do this anymore. And she took me back to Stratford General Hospital and saying, I'm sorry, and I can't imagine how hard that was for her. 
but said, I just can't. And so I was grafted into, adopted into a different family. And this just really resonates for me, that Jesus doesn't mind our past. Because Jesus wants to change our future. And he only wants to change it for good. And it doesn't matter what what our past was, whether it's because of what we did or where we came from. Jesus can restore and renew and make all things new. Rahab had a son named Boaz, and we can read the beautiful book of Ruth to learn how Boaz came to marry Ruth who was another foreigner from Moab, a a Moabitess. And Moabites were enemies of Israel. They were idol worshipers who were not ordinarily, according to Deuteronomy 23.3, they were not allowed into the assembly of God. They were not allowed into the worship setting of the Israelite people. But, But God redeems. God restores. And anybody who truly seeks him, God says, if with all your heart you truly seek me, you shall surely find me. Matthew goes out of his way to show that barriers can be broken. Men and women, Jews and Gentiles, even good people and bad people, according to our metrics, are broken down in the name of Jesus. This is an invitation to all people, to Jesus. Romans 3. Listen to these beautiful words. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. There's no distinction. For all have sinned. And all fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. Christmas is for everybody because Jesus doesn't mind our status. He wants to free us in Christ. He wants to free us in Himself. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. But David was unfaithful to his wife, and he arranged for a man on the battlefield to be killed. Uriah had him sent to the front lines so that he would die, because he had been unfaithful with, David had been unfaithful with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and their baby died. And that was discipline. And after Uriah died, because of David's treachery, David and Bathsheba were married and they had a son, Solomon, who became the third king of Israel, the the, the king after David. And then everything just started to go very badly. But Christmas is for everybody because Jesus can forgive and mend the broken. Because David would sincerely, after being convicted through the prophet Nathan, he would sincerely repent of his sin. So he didn't go into the sin and say, oh, God's going to forgive me anyway. But rather, when he recognized that what he had done was wrong, he was sincerely repentant. We can read Psalm 51. 
about his brokenness. Jesus can forgive and mend the broken if we let him. If we submit to let him. He can heal, forgive. Because it's by his stripes from the inside out. It's by his stripes we are healed. I won't ask us to read the rest together, but these are the names of many of the kings from Solomon until Judah, until the exile under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, who does not usually have a hyphen in his name. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. You know, the trick about reading these names is you just say them confidently and people go, whoa, that just must be how it's pronounced. (laughs) Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. The emphasis here, it's not every name is included, but the emphasis here is on Jesus' legal kingly descent. That was part of, part of Matthew's MO here, was to show that Jesus came from the line of the king, David. Christmas is for everybody because Jesus is, will you say it with me? King of kings and Lord of lords. I have two Christmas traditions. The first is that every year I like to go and I like to hear a live full performance of Handel's Messiah. And I did that last night. And I cried. As we stood for the singing of the Hallelujah Chorus. And I heard the word sung, King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, twice named here, was the father of Abihud. And Abihud was the father of Eliakim. And Eliakim, the father of Azor. Christmas is for everybody. Oh, let me read these. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. And Achim, the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Matan. And Matan, the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. Christmas is for everybody because Jesus can deliver from captivity. Even as we read uh, at, at, our, at our Advent second candle being lit today, that for hundreds of years, people were yearning and waiting for the coming of Messiah. And he has come as deliverer from captivity. The cross and the resurrection would prove that all the more 33 years later. And the second year after the return from exile, Zerubbabel, 
erected an altar and laid the foundation of the temple that was in ruins that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And other than Zerubbabel, these descendants that I've just read in in these last verses, we don't know a lot about them. Uh, Some of their names sound familiar, but that's because they're common names like Zadok and Eleazar. I mean, not maybe common today, but sorry, common uh, from reading of, of the Old Testament. So these are pretty ordinary people, some of them. They were in the service of the Lord. This is my, my second Christmas tradition. And that is that during the holidays, every Christmas I like to watch the extended version of the trilogy, Lord of the Rings. And I will admit, I admit I have surround sound. And I make sure the lights are out and uh, over the holiday time. So in a, in a week or two, I will enjoy uh, that wonderful trilogy, Lord of the Rings. And at the end of it all, there's, there's this seemingly unending trail of names, you know, of all the people behind the scenes, without whom there would be no movies. There would be none of those characters uh, that we remember and that we love if if we like that trilogy. The last point, Christmas is for everybody because Jesus came for ordinary people. Jesus came for people like you and me. The history of the church has periods and pockets of elitism and extremism. The history of the church has periods and pockets of protectionism here and patronizing there. But that's not Jesus. The history of the church has periods and pockets of corruption and collusion. And the history of the church has periods and pockets of oppression and repression. But that's not Jesus. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Well, you give him praise. That's just fine. Amen. Amen. He is the Prince of Peace and he is Emmanuel, God with us. The final name in that genealogy that I've just read before Jesus is another woman. You understand that, that in Jewish culture back in that day, you, just, you didn't name women in genealogies because they didn't have status. We've mentioned that before. You've, you've maybe heard it before. But they didn't have status. In fact, if, if, the, if their husband died, they would have no right to his legacy. It's, it doesn't, it's not right. But that, that was the culture at the time. It was the culture at the time. But more and more, God, 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 God showed ways and he provided ways that they should be provided for. And that's the grace of God. But there would be people who would be so legalistic, they would see these names of women in the genealogy, some of them with very storied pasts. And they would say, this is not acceptable. And I say, thank you, Lord. That's why I know you accept me. 
because of my imperfection, you take me and you want to make me more and more into the image of Jesus. And in verse 16, the Greek, as I understand it, emphasizes Jesus' descent from Mary, not from Joseph. Joseph is not named as the father of Jesus. Mary is named as the mother of Jesus. Why is that? The answer is in Luke chapter 2. And let me read these verses. They're so beautiful. Now the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement. No surprise. And kept pondering at what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And he would be given from the Holy Spirit. That's why Joseph is not named as being the father of Jesus. But Mary is the mother. The final verse reads, the final verse reads, verse 17, that this genealogy to all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. From the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Now understand this is not an exhaustive genealogy. Uh, this is one that, that Matthew uh, tailored. And just like any genealogy, you know, we could pick and choose and say, well, you know, I discovered that I was related to so-and-so. I'm not going to name everybody down the line. And sometimes people in Jewish genealogies might have been a grandfather, uh, but were named as being the father because they understood that's just how they, how they used language and how they used idioms in their time. Why the number 14? Maybe because it's twice seven, which is considered to be a holy number of completeness. Or some have said that apparently 14 in Hebrew is the numerical value of the name David. Who knows? Whatever the case, it's a selective genealogy. But it's an accurate genealogy. In this case, to highlight Abraham and David, and most especially Jesus. Matthew is very much in mind that Jesus is the fulfillment of the words spoken by the prophets, that Jesus is the Son of God. This is a very big deal for him. And Jesus would come to recognize this in Matthew 5 as part of the Sermon on the Mount when he would say, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I have come to fulfill them. Christmas is for everyone. It's for everybody. Isaiah 52, 7 declares, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation. That's Jesus. 
And then Jesus says to you and me, through the written word, through the Holy Spirit, he says to you and me in Romans 10, 14 to 15, using this verse from Isaiah 52, how then will people call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him if they have not heard? How will they hear without a proclaimer? How will they proclaim unless they are sent? And I'm very intentional about not using the word preach here. Because when we, if, we, if I were to say, how will they hear without a preacher? You will go, oh, well, that's every Sunday morning. <laughs> Woo. That's just for the preacher. The word means proclaimer. And it's not limited to just a few who get paid. Praise the Lord for that. That we all have the opportunity and the blessing to proclaim the truth. Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Brothers and sisters, church, we have good news of great things. Amen? That all of us can declare. And so let me finish by inviting you and me. How can we invite people to Christmas this year? Uh, maybe for, for some of us this morning, we would say, you know, I needed a renewed invitation to Jesus myself. For some reason or other, I'm, I'm just not sure about Christmas. Or for some reason or other, I'm just not too sure about Jesus. And this is who he is. This is why Christmas, and we could say Jesus is for everybody, because that's really the point of it. And there may be many of us today who do well to once again ponder the question, what are some ways that we can invite other people to Christmas this year? Maybe by inviting them to an event. I would suggest that we can invite them to Christmas by blessing them in some way. Maybe by inviting them to an event like Alpha Marriage. Maybe by inviting... Somebody to your home that you, that you know just needs a bit of Christmas or needs a lot of Jesus. Inviting them to your home, taking them out for lunch. Maybe by blessing them with a little gift spontaneously or in a planned way. Beth Fleming, when Steve and Beth were here at, 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 her, at the breakfast uh, recently, Beth said that, that she's just been inspired to, to give out chocolates to people somewhat randomly as just a, an act of blessing and all that kind of thing. When we bless people, that breaks ice. It can help us to share Jesus with them in both our conduct and our words. Maybe by offering to pray for somebody who's finding this time of year difficult. We know they are, and we can just say, can I pray for you? That request is not often denied. Maybe by getting to know somebody who isn't a follower of Jesus and just getting to care about them so that our light, the light of Jesus, through us will shine through. Maybe by sharing with somebody the Christmas story who just doesn't understand it. There are many, many more and more people who don't know the Christmas story. We have an opportunity to tell them about this wonderful baby who was born. And history shows it. And he is the Savior God with us, Messiah, Prince of Peace. Maybe you can give a, a, a book to somebody who's a skeptic. There's a little book called More Than a Carpenter. It's not a new book, it's an old book, but it's a wonderful book. It's an easy read. Something like that that is a great gift to somebody or a great challenge to somebody. Would you read this with me? 
I think it's better to say to somebody, would you read this with me rather than just, here, maybe you'll read this. And you could talk about who Jesus is, that he's, he's one of a kind. There's none like him. Whatever it is today, let's pray together and ask the Lord to speak to us because he does, he is, he will. Let's pray as the musicians come forward. Lord, I thank you that that faith is not fiction. Lord, I thank you that, that faith is based on what is known. But faith is so much about trusting in the unseen. The incredible mystery and reality of God incarnate. So Lord, I thank you that that we have something to stand on. And I thank you too that, Lord, your presence and activity and reality in the lives of your people and how story after story after story from this room could be told about how you've changed lives, that you are real and you are active and you are transforming. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that when Jesus would leave this earth, that he would leave you and that you would come He would prepare the way for you and that you would stamp your your presence in us as a seal to lead us into God's ways. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are for everybody and that you call everyone regardless of, of the past, regardless of the stories, regardless of the status, regardless of the brokenness, regardless of who we've maybe served before, regardless of what we need to be delivered from, regardless of the fact that we are ordinary people, that you invite us. And Lord, I, I pray that if there be anybody here today who says, you know, I've not, I've not ever received, I've not, not ever responded affirmatively to that invitation, that today would be the day to say, Lord Jesus, I, I understand I understand what I do and I ask you to lead me. I ask you to change my life. I ask you to, to heal my, my brokenness. If Any brokenness that, that's recognized or maybe that's, that's not, even, not even understood. And Lord, that would be true for all of us recognizing that you continue to, to restore us. And then Lord, help us and I pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds just in a few moments of silence, as we may be willing to ask a question like, Lord, how would you, how would you have me invite others to Christmas this year? Lord, I thank you that you do speak to us. Let's take just a few, a few moments, 30 seconds or so. Let's take that, just to offer that prayer to the Lord and, and we can keep asking God prayers like this in our day-to-day lives. And then we'll sing once again about this precious, precious Savior and be still before him in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening online with us. We trust you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you have a prayer request or an encouraging story about what God has been doing in your life, please email us at amen at wcmc.ca. God bless.